welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Oh. My. God. Did you think I was dead? What's up, everyone? Knock on podcast number 171. I'm back from the depths of 21 days of majestic hunting, and I feel refreshed. I literally feel like I don't even know who I am right now because I was disconnected from the social media world for a while. Uh, not by choice, if I'm honest. It's mainly because a deadfall fell and hit a satellite dish that was actually on the mountain um, where we were bear hunting in seclusion. So I didn't have hardly any signal there, uh, which that trip is currently being played on my Instagram. I'm kind of developing stories of the day-by-day, which hopefully you're liking. Um, And then before that, I was in Hawaii with Sharon and a bunch of good friends, which I'm sure most of you faithful friends are going to know about anyway, and had a lot of fun there. Um, I actually got there, I think I got there two days or a day and a half before other people landed, mainly because I was the first one to book, and... The other people ended up changing their tickets a couple times, and I just wanted to actually enjoy some hunting again with Sharon, because that's kind of who I started the whole knock-on thing with, was uh, me, Sharon, and Harry doing everything. So Harry wasn't with us, so Sharon and I went out, and she was able to, like always, film, uh, I think we shot four deer together. And then I hunted with some of the guys uh, for the days that they were there. I hunted, I think I hunted a day with Adam uh, and then half a day with Ben and was able to shoot some more deer, uh, even though I wasn't really the one that was supposed to be hunting, but that's just how it works. And then enjoyed um, some beach time with my wife and with my buddy Joe and also got to hang out with uh, with Cam and left uh, left the beach for a day and went hunting with Cam for the first time. So all that stuff was super cool. And I'm not going to dive too much into the hunts, and I know that you might want me to, but the reason I'm not for this podcast is my plans, fingers crossed, is I actually need to grab some of those guys and do some podcasts this week separately specifically about those trips um so my plan is to make up all this uh absence for you guys and gals i want to make sure that uh you understand i do still enjoy hunting and i enjoy it for the heart of it all and that's being able to get out and be with friends and not be distracted um honestly some of these trips are for me they're trips of a lifetime and 
several of my friends that I had there, um, you know, including Joe, he's been busy on tour. I've been swamped with dealing with all the knock on stuff and, um, they're legitimate friends. So I just really wanted to have time to, to hang out and talk and, um, hadn't actually got to hunt with Adam in so long. And I just really wanted to enjoy that without, without feeling the necessity to have the camera or have the phone. And I feel better. I know it kind of sucks for you guys if you're really interested, but my plan is to go on these adventures and capture my adventure just like I would if I was having a really cool vacation with my family or if I was on something with a really close friend and, you know, end up coming back and talking about the memories of that hunt and sharing it. So I'm going to start doing it that way. I'm going to take some cool pictures as I go and I'm going to get back to the roots of what I used to love to do and kind of the reason why I have so many photos and things like that from the past is because Sharon and I have always loved photography uh, as well as you know some videography and I just want to be able to capture all that and then come back and share it to you when um, when I'm done with it all and when there's some downtime. So hopefully you forgive me for that, but that is what I want to do. And for this first podcast, uh, there's a couple things that I want to talk about. Um, and I guess I don't really know totally where to start. I've got several questions that I've actually screenshotted from social media, mainly from these are actually private messages. So yeah, I do get to private messages. Um, I just want to say if you're sending messages to Facebook and Twitter or Instagram, listen, I do my best. I do an hour a day and at an hour a day, um, by the time I actually reply to a message and then hit send, um, the amount of inbound messages coming in overpower the ones going out so much that I don't even get to see where my reply is because it's already 10 or 15 deep. So I do my best and I do give you guys um, an hour a day for answering questions directly. Um, but there's some that just get buried at the bottom and I don't get to them. So I apologize every now and then. Um, I'll take a full day. I've actually taken two days at times and done nothing but answer your questions and try to reply to you on social media. Um, but I can't always do it. And the other thing too is a lot of times when I make a post, um, I'll you know I kind of have a couple times a day where I'll actually look at my phone and make a post in relation to social media. So I don't always reply to every single person in a thread. I just can't. Um, I'm kind of trying to weigh it all out. So uh, don't hold it against me. Forgive me. And we'll move on. But there's some really cool things that are happening right now that I need to address. Um, And the first of which is probably going to be in relation. I guess the first of which needs to be in relation to the strings. Um, We are working diligently on the strings. I actually have a team of um, 
three people right now that are helping me um, build what I want and helping me through the processes of it all. But I do want to say that I'm super passionate about if I bring something out, I do want it to be different. So I'm doing a lot of due diligence right now with um, actually working with some, uh, well, it's not with, but working with BCY specifically on materials and specific materials that I want. And um, also, I'm trying to not only have a material that's different, but also a process that is as high of standard as, as I know being available. Um, and I can tell you that I'm not going to, it, it's tough for me with the strings because I know what um, several people are doing incorrectly with strings and corners that they cut and corners that they're going to cut and also things that they don't maybe know how to do. Um, just keep in mind, you know, I started um, 20 years ago with zebra strings. Um, well, I wasn't actually working for zebra strings, but I was working for Matthews where zebra strings was. So um, I've been through a lot of different processes. I've been through a lot of different types of um, layups, things like that. Then obviously I've seen them. I've been with a lot of companies. I've I get invited to a lot of companies. I walk through a lot of places, including a lot of European string manufacturers and things like that. So I constantly walk by things where it's like, okay, well, it's not the best way to do it, or that's a corner that you're cutting so they're faster, or that's not as good. I mean, all that little stuff. And I'm not going to talk about that because one, it's negative, And two, um, if I want to do something the right way, then some things I got to just keep to myself because they're going to be better. So I don't know how fast um, I wanted to be building strings by now. And to be honest with you, I bought several machines uh, that could be purchased currently um, from companies. But when I started building um, back in February, I believe, I realized right away that they are not going to handle what I'm trying to do. So I immediately had to go to the drawing board. I've got a really super high-end machine shop working on things for me um, in Illinois. I've got another one um, out west working on some stuff for me, and hopefully it all comes together. And when it does, I'm going to start selling strings. And just to answer your question, I'm going to start selling strings specifically first, uh, four models that I'm familiar with and ones that I can perfect and then I'll move into the others. So it's not going to be a super fast process, um, but it is in process. The next thing is going to be, um, I've actually just released yesterday some Rattler Grip knock-on side plates, custom side plates for... Um, Matthews. So you're welcome, Matthews people. Uh, I don't have anything against Matthews. I don't have anything against any bow company. Um, I like all of you guys, but you know, I try to, obviously I have to go with, um, what I'm familiar with and what I can try myself for a while and know that I like, um, and that's for any product. And because I'm shooting a Hoyt, I try them the most there first 
put them to use. And then actually the second step for the Matthews circumstance was um, to see how uh, Bailey liked the side plate for her Matthews grip and made sure that she liked it and it worked and it was doing good. And then uh, once I had that second opinion, I moved forward. And that's how it is with everything. Um, there's same was with the too smooth. Um, I trusted Bailey to give me an opinion on that, uh, mainly because she's shooting a heck of a lot more than I am right now, and I know her hands are smaller than mine too. So having those um, opinions are super valuable. So at times I use certain people, and other times I use other people that are friends. But uh, either way. We have, uh, we've kind of got some cool stuff coming. One of which is the new arrows. I have a question that someone asked me about the new arrows. And um, regarding those, there's going to be two styles coming. Um, there's going to be a full metal jacket as well as an axis. I've shot both. I have both. And both are in production. Uh, I'm, I wanted to have them now by May, uh, but it's the POs out there and they're in production. Um, it took a little longer to get the labels than I had hoped. And mainly because the color green was, uh, was not exactly how we wanted it to be. So we've got the, we've got that nailed and I can tell you, <clears throat> I can tell you that, uh, these things are freaking sweet. The green is really awesome. I mean, it is it is super cool. And if you're looking at my Insta stories uh, right now with the bear, I've kind of showed you th this bear hunt is the first actual uh, production run of the arrows. So... Um, there's two styles for two different reasons. One, I feel like there's a lot of people that want an all carbon shaft. And there's also people, including myself, that really like to be a heavy hitter and shoot an FMJ as well. Um, I shot two different shafts on two different hunts. I took the Axis to Hawaii for the Axis, and I also kept the Axis uh, for... Um, for the the bear hunt as well uh, mainly because it was shooting really good and the I'm just super happy with the accuracy and a lot of times when I do the spot and stock style hunting regardless of what it is um, I know that with spot and stock shot opportunities at longer ranges are common um, and I also knew that there's going to be crosswinds in both situations so I went with an arrow that um, I was able to get a little bit higher FOC and still have the speed that I wanted. So for kind of short to mid-range stuff, um, and it, this isn't relating to accuracy, it's more relating to pin gap, I really like the full metal jacket version. So whitetails, elk, I'm going to definitely be coming in hitting hard with uh, FMJs then you know once I start to get out there for things like mule deer antelope uh, you know obviously this this bear hunt and the axis 
I shot the axis. Um, the arrows, I don't have, um, well, I'm trying to see if I can find it actually while I'm talking right now, but I don't have um, the actual final pricing, but what I'll tell you is it's not going to be um, a lot different than the cost currently for uh, the match grade arrows. It looks like, um, it looks like, you know, the full retail is probably going to be, um, it's looking at about 15 bucks or so more, uh, than what the ones that you can buy in the store are going to be. And the reason for that is because the knock-on version of these arrows is a select it's pretty much a select um, sort of the shafts. So the plus or minus straightness value is going to be the best on the market, period. Um, every one of these things are going to be inside of a thousandth. Uh, when they spin, they're like literally like rolling glass on your finger. Um, so part of the reason for the delay is... Um, in order to have the, that super selection of an entire batch, you have to wait for the entire batch to be made, and then they super select it down. So what I will tell you is I've had to commit to a certain amount of arrows, but Easton has also told me that um, in some sizes, they may not be able to go above and beyond what I've ordered because uh, there's only so many that you can get out of an entire production run that have that type of, uh, you know, selection when it comes to the actual straightness. The other thing is these arrows, um, obviously I had to get custom labels done for all of them, which that number is very high to run um, custom labels and obviously shutting down Easton, uh, in the month of May to do knock-on arrows probably uh, is going to cost a little bit. And secondly, I want all these standard with brass. Now, I will sell um, aluminum inserts separately if you want those, but I'm going to have these standard with brass. And the reason being is because I shoot them that way. Um, you'll have the option of 50 or 75 grain brass. And the other thing that you're going to um, have is standard in the package, you will have a broadhead, um, a, a broadhead over collar. So this is a collar that slides over the end of these shafts and actually, one, they have a slight taper so it fits to an exact match over the shaft and almost like snaps on and it it over it covers the shaft for about a quarter of an inch so you don't have to cut your arrows much longer at all but it encapsulates the end of the shafts which majorly um, improves strength on the end of the shaft when it comes to blows that are being put on the shaft when the shaft is coming at in at any kind of an angle. The other thing it does too is it greatly improves the actual straightness of the broadhead when it's screwed onto the shaft 
because of the way this collar fits on, if by chance when you cut your arrows, if you have any type of variance or blade flex in your saw blade to where you don't have a perfectly square and smooth end cut, this will actually almost band-aid that and give you a perfect match so that your broadhead spin super true and it'll also greatly improve the strength of not only the end of the shaft but also uh, it'll help improve the strength of your broadhead ferrule so these things are um, they're they're dynamite they hit hard and i think you're really going to like them so they'll come with um, a dozen of the the broadhead collars they'll come with a dozen of the brass uh, inserts and those will again they should be out uh hopefully here uh by june we should be rolling so i'm looking forward to that it's uh it's really cool that they allowed me to um buy exactly what i wanted and literally build something and the only place that you'll be able to get them um, is with us uh, so you'll have to get those with knockonarchery.com uh, one thing that i'm strongly considering as well is i'm really considering offering a actual fletched option so i almost want to do a full arrow build to my exact specs so um for a price of i don't know what it would be right now um it's I can tell you it's probably not going to be cheaper than what you do it for in your archery shop um, if they're or especially if you're getting a pre-fletch Easton that's you know coming off a machine fletch um, I would do I'm looking at doing an actual uh, true uh, match grade fletch job so it would have literally um, a knock-on wrap and a knock-on fletch option with a certain degree of offset. Now, I don't know if right now I'm going to have the capability of building them with multiple vein color options or multiple vein um, length options, but what my debate would be is for at least these arrows to have the option of probably one short vein option and one long vein option and possibly one long vein option in either a three or four fletch obviously there'd have to be a different difference in price if it was a four fletch but that is something that i am considering um so if you like the sound of that um and it's something that you would like to have available to you to where you literally were able to buy a dozen arrows they're going to maybe cost you a little bit more but you're gonna have a dozen arrows that are literally the exact same as what i spend time with to build arrows for rogan or andy stump or whoever what other whatever other super popular person that i uh, build match grade ballistic shafts for the same as what i would do for myself on an important hunting trip so that's that um and i will be getting to questions there's a lot of stuff i needed to cover so um the other thing is some people have um it's amazing actually i was out of town um 
we have we had secretly bought and um, refurbed a brand new headquarters um, and I was actually out of town with uh, my friends at Traeger and Andy and my buddy Trevor. Um, I was out of town for this turkey thing, and we ended up closing on the building, and the exterior of the building ended up getting, um, you know, repainted, repointed. Um, All the signs and everything like that went up, and before I was even home, there were already people posting pictures of the new knock-on store, and I've had an abundance of messages newspapers are calling there's notes being put on the door everything else and people are wondering what the hell this is going to be is it going to be a new knock-on retail shop and the answer is no it is not so obviously you've heard we're going to be doing arrows we're going to be doing strings obviously we got the every day-to-day stuff we're doing now plus i'm outgrowing um our current space by a long shot and I really need a uh, I need a designated podcast studio and uh, I need a designated office as well um, and as does Sharon for um, all the stuff that all the different you know I guess gears that she has turning right now so there is going to be a knock on brick and mortar store um, but it won't be open to the public sorry about that um but if you're coming through our town you can definitely take a picture in front of it and uh and tag us and i'll uh i'll wave at you if i'm on if i'm on the inside but if it was open if it was open doors all the time i would never have time to give you a podcast so it's a trade-off also i'm drinking right now and i can finally say that day doggone it freaking the knocked and loaded black rifle black rifle coffee combination is officially going live today soon as soon as sharon's up and moving um we're actually going to post this i've been working with black rifle coffee since i don't know you probably heard me hint it on a podcast a long time ago and I've been working on a blend with them that I really like and I really wanted to get something that was kind of a combination between some of the blends that I liked and that my buddy Andy Stumpf introduced me to. So um, I've just enjoyed the coffee. I really like the people. Awesome dudes. Um, My buddy Omar, aka Crispy, um, super nice guy. He's actually really tight with Black Rifle Coffee, um, and I think they're just they're cool cats. So I went ahead and um, entertained this thought of actually doing a knock-on blend. So this is pretty cool. Um, right now, it's going to be available on our website. Uh, we're going to put those on today. I'm sure Black Rifle will have it as well, and I do think it may... Uh, may make it other places as people taste it and say holy crap that's freaking good so that's what i'm drinking and it's it's awesome i actually have it as a french press i have a french press that does 
um, about, I think my French press does, well, it's hard, it's hard to call this a cup of coffee because I've got the Yeti mug. So this Yeti mug is probably more than that. But anyway, I have a, I have a standard size French press. And what I do is I take a half of a cup of the knocked and loaded blend, put it in the French press. I'll pour, I'll literally turn on my kettle and get the, the water whistling. Um, and then I'll turn the water off. Here's a little tip for you. I'll turn the water off and actually, because normally it's pretty much at a boiling point. So I'll turn the water off and give it about two to three minutes that it's off to where it can actually cool down a little bit. And then I'll pour, um, enough hot water into the beans to where it covers all of the beans and I'll let it sit another few minutes and let the beans actually kind of blossom a little bit. You can see them kind of start to swell. And then I'll go ahead after that next two minutes, I'll pour in the rest of the hot water, stir it up a little bit with a spoon, put the top of my French press on there, uh, and let it sit for about another two minutes. And then I'll push it down, pour it into my cup and get jacked. So, um, for those of you who are out there, this is kind of a really cool blend, uh, between the caffeinated as freak. That's the, um, that's a censored version. So there's actually um, a pretty high level of caffeine in the CAF blend. Um, but I actually really liked the taste of uh, AK-47 as well. So I've kind of got um, a little bit of a, a merger. So this is pretty cool. I think you're going to like it and hopefully you do. Next thing, and I have to do a video on this, is yesterday I released lastly sorry it's the last thing i'm going to talk about in relation to uh something that we're selling i didn't mean this to come off as a podcast it's all about selling i'm trying to have it as a podcast of bringing you guys all up to speed about stuff that uh i probably should have done a better job of talking about before this podcast but i didn't so sorry um the next thing is i actually had someone else reach out to me and show me this glue holder that they were making to actually hold your max bond glue tube while you're fletching. And this is something that's actually really useful. Um, and it was a knock on version. And I just said, dude, that's freaking amazing. And, uh, I just said, can you change it a little bit? His first design was slightly different. I changed a few things. Uh, I wanted it powder coated green and this thing is super awesome. I made a post about it yesterday. It's also on the store. Um, but this thing is super simple and is awesomely practical. Um, people were saying, well, if your glue tube's upside down like that, it's just gonna be a runny mess. The Max Bond glue is thick. So it's not like if it's pouring out like water, one, you're not using the right type of super glue um, for your fletching. And it's probably why you have veins coming off. Uh, so and the other thing is it is uh, it is a bendable stainless steel. Uh, FYI, you can't bend it back and forth in the same spot uh, more than like five or six times or it is going to break. That's any type of metal, by the way. 
Um, so it's really meant to, it's flat as it comes to you just because of the fact I want to be able to ship it easy. And then it bends up, uh, the long arm bends up, and then you can actually bend the small star, which has a, uh, a small hole in it for the tip of the glue. And you can bend it to where uh, the angle of the actual glue bottle is how you want it to be. Um, you probably don't want it straight up and down. Obviously, that's more gravity. But um, anytime you've been fletching arrows before, you know that if you stand your glue up every single time as you get closer to the bottom half of that bottle, it gets to be a pain in the butt to tip your glue back upside down, get all the air out of it without blowing a big blob of glue onto your veins as you're going. So this allows your glue to sit on a slight angle so that you can actually pick it up and barely start to squeeze your glue and it's coming right back out. And if you're using this while you're fletching arrows, I mean, you're normally clamping a vein in, wiping it with the primer pin, grabbing your glue, and as that primer is, you know, you can see the primer literally um, evaporating off the vein, you're applying that small bead of glue, making sure it's even across the base of the shoe of the vein, you're pushing it down on the shaft, and you know before you push it down on the shaft you're probably hanging that glue on your little stand or for me in the past i always had to have a couple little pieces of chalk or a ballpoint pen and i was like having to put my glue up on an angle uh just so that it was always at the ready i cl put my clamp on the arrow push down um, and then pretty much what i'm doing is removing the clamp putting a new vein in the clamp wiping it with the primer pen then grabbing the glue again and going so it's not really you know that's normally on that stand for a minute at a time at the most so it's not going to be dripping into a mess but it's pretty cool um you'll like it people um people thought well i shouldn't say people one guy said uh you know it looked looked a little bit like a, a gimmick but it's not um, it can also be used to put a cigarette in it if you wanted to. You can, it slices, it dices, it, um, you can put a candle on top of it. There's so many different practicalities, you won't even believe it. So, um, and don't believe that. That was a pretty bad joke. But anyway, it's a cool invention. It's cheap. And if you fletch arrows all the time, like it sounds like I'm going to be going to do, uh, you're going to want it. So with that said, holy crap, we're finally into the questions. And like I said, if you're kind of rolling your eyes like, holy crap, Dudley, this is getting a little over the top, then it'll all average out, dudes. I got some people coming on the podcast. I'm going to give you guys a little plethora of podcasts here so that it... My average is back to average or favoring you guys more than me. So that's how I always do it. Might take me a couple weeks to get there, but I do try to favor you guys more than me. So I'm going into my first screenshotted question. And sadly enough, it might kind of be a, well, I don't want it to be a sales pitch, but you're going to think that. So anyway, this is coming from. Let's see, A C I N K N Y. I don't know if it's Asin Key. I don't know. That's his name. It's got a cool Superman logo. 
for his icon. But he's saying, I have a question about binoculars. I currently have the Monarch 7 binos. Those are Nikons. And I was looking at some of the other brands online. Um, I was looking at the Swarovski uh, SELs and the 6-hour Zulu 7s and Zulu 9s. Do I have any experience with these brands? Also, would you recommend? What would you recommend out of these two brands? Uh, and what brand Bino do you currently use? P.S. I cannot wait for the new knock-on Easton arrows. Yeah, a lot of people can't, including myself. So uh, appreciate your love for the arrows. So this is crazy. I was going to say when you said Monarch Seven, hey, I had those too. I've got so many pair of binoculars. I've tried tons. I've tried Bushnells. I've tried Nikons, multiple kinds of Nikons. I've shot Leopolds. Um, I have Zeiss and I have Leicas. So, um, out of all those, this is where you might think I'm throwing you a sales pitch, but they don't pay me and they're not a sponsor. So, um, I can say it. Last year, and it was it was actually 13 months ago, me and Rogan went on a hunt. Uh, we actually went on a hog hunt together in California. We didn't really publicize it uh, because we were just out chilling. But my man Rogan showed up with some brand new Mavens. And he's like, dude, have you heard about these? And I said, yeah, Green Tree uses them. And he's like, have you looked through them? And I said, no, I haven't. And I was there. Well, I'm going to confirm this. I'll look up while I'm talking. But anyway, I said, no, I haven't. And he's like, well, let me know what you think. I want to know your opinion. So I looked through them and I said, holy crap, dude, those are really good. And he's like, I know, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, they're, those are, those look really nice. So, um, and then, Fast forward a few months later, we were in Hawaii the first time for this group hunt that we did, and Shane Dorian had them. So one day, the guides actually forgot me and Shane were sitting on this road waiting to come out. Um, I had shot a buck, and we literally sat there, and they forgot that we were there. So... Shane and I sat on this dirt road for quite a while, and we talked about many things. One of the things was his mavens. I'm like, hey, how do you like those mavens? I said, Rogan had some last week. And he's like, dude, I love these things. They're awesome. And he actually had some custom Ridge Reaper dipped ones, which I'm kind of jealous about. Uh, But same thing. So fast forward. Uh... To another hunt I was on, and my buddy Andy Stump said, Dude, have you seen these mavens? And I said, Yes, I've seen them twice. And he's like, I love these things. And so I ended up looking through them again. And then finally I just said, Screw it. Um, and I ordered some. I've actually had, I've had optic sponsors in the past, which is why I have so many optics. Um, I was with Leica for like 10 years. Um, they were actually one of my first sponsors when I started shooting the tours. And um, then Nikon was the official sponsor of the show for six years. Um, 
And then uh, and then once my buddy Greg Poole started working with Leupold, um, he just asked me as a friend if I would use Leupold stuff. So I said yes. Well, Leupold and Greg separated ways. I'm all about friendships. So um, I didn't have any connection there with them anymore after that. No communication. So I actually... Uh, tried these mavens and i can say they're freaking great they're awesome optics and i'll tell you what's cool about them um and i don't even know i went to the website one time i actually just got i did a custom pair i built a custom pair um which is pretty fun you can so you can go on to the maven uh the maven optics website i'm doing this as we're talking so and I'm not the best to ask uh, because I don't know all the different builds. Um, they do have a uh, they do have a pretty cool. Um, I think they have a loaner program because when I first called, they said, "Do you want to?" Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. I think they have a like a loaner program. Yeah, demo optics. So let's see what this says. Oh yeah, try before you buy. It makes sense to us. This is freaking sweet. So it wasn't just me. It's not like they said, okay, this is John Dudley. Let's let him try him because the ones I have now, I kind of feel bad about this. I may end up paying for it anyway. But the ones that I took with me to Lanai and the ones I took with me to BC, uh, this is good and bad. The good thing is they're actually a demo pair. They're not even mine. They're literally the demo pair. And after I tried them in Lanai, um, I freaking loved them so much that I actually decided I came back from Lanai. I might have been in Lanai, actually. I was in Lanai, and I'm like, I got to get my own. So I got some, and I wanted to get a rush put on them so that I could have them for my BC hunt. Well, um, I ended up, I was only home six hours between Lanai and my BC hunt, so I ended up not uh, getting my new ones. So I took my demo pair to BC too. And if you've seen both of those trips, one, the the ash and soot and stickers and briars and scrub brush in Lanai is definitely a test of any equipment, period. And then the... The whole adventure I had in BC this year, uh, because of the late winter and ice and all that stuff, man, the gear sure did get bashed. And I can tell you that uh, these things held up awesome. Now, for whoever gets this demo pair after me, I feel bad for you, because they don't look as good as they did when I got them. I'm going to have to apologize to those guys. Uh, I may have to buy them. I don't know what the stipulations is, but... um, here on the website it says because we understand firsthand the value of design materials and the hundreds of hours of expertise that went into crafting those maven binoculars and spotting scope and you've had your eye on we know uh, we produce world-class optics we also know we need to get mavens into your hands so that you can see them for yourself that's a true statement that's a problem with a lot of good products is that if you can't hold it and use it then you really don't know and honestly for me it took three of my good friends to before I finally said, you know what, I'm going to go with these guys. Even if other optic companies are offering me sponsorships, these guys don't have um, 
you know, they're not paying people. Not that I know of. They're probably paying cool people, uh, but not me. So these are awesome. And just go on their website. It's M-A-V-E-N. And I think the, well, the website is shop.mavenbuilt.com. Yep. Shop.mavenbuilt.com. That's where it is. But anyway, I ended up doing custom optics. You can click on custom and then you go to build your own and you can literally go through the stock. I'll show you guys mine. Um, I'll make a post. I did black, like pretty much like a blacked out, murdered out black with green rings, uh, green rings and knobs, obviously. And they actually laser etch, uh, I laser etched knock on on the eye ring. So they're pretty dope. I love them. Um, so yeah, that's it. And I actually just looked at the picture of me and Rogan um, back in Cali. And when he had his Mavens, I actually had a brand new pair of Leopolds. And I don't know which model number they were, uh, but that's what I had. So uh, that's kind of my, my answer. Um, I don't, I literally know for, let me find your question. Sorry, dude. I know it took me a while to get there, but um, I'm having fun right now. I told you I'm refreshed, so I'm babbling. Um, so to answer your question specifically, I've I've used Swarovskis. Um, I always use the ELs, so I haven't tried the SCL, um, and I have not tried any of the Zulus. And I'm honest if I say that. Um, so I kind of skipped your middle part portion. I've literally used, I think, almost every other binocular, but the, the ones that you asked me about, obviously, Swarovski's, you're not going to go wrong, dude. I mean, you know, a Swarovski uh, SLC versus uh, a Maven, you know, if you, well, I, I'm just going to look here. I don't even know. I'm telling you, so the models that I'm shooting are actually the B1s, B as in boy, one. And um, I'm not sure the difference between the B1 or the B2s other than like the actual um, kind of style of them. Um, I like the B1s. I'm just looking now. I didn't even know. They have like a B2, B3, and a B4. The B4 looks pretty cool. That looks a lot more like your Swarovski um, in shape. I did not get those. I guess I'm cheap. I got the B1s. I just, dude, I got the cheapest pair they make. Well, there's compacts that are cheaper, but I literally got like entry level B1s and I freaking love them. So who knows what the B4s are like. But anyway, these B1s, you can get... Uh, you can get stock ones for 900 bucks. So, uh, you know, if you look at that versus, um, you know, versus your Swarovski uh, SCLs, yeah, well, there you go. So, hey, if you can afford the Swarovskis, they're 1800 bucks. They're going to be good, and Swarovskis are awesome, as is Zeiss, as is Leica. But if you want to buy two pair, then go to Maven because they only sell direct. They don't have dealers and all that stuff, so you're cutting out the middle guy. So Maven, 
if you're listening. I don't know if you guys do. Probably don't. Um, I just gave you a pretty good sales plug, and hopefully it works out for you guys. They're good people. I've called and I've talked to two different people, and both of the people I talked to were super nice, super helpful. Um, I know that Joe and Andy talk to people that are different than who I talk to, and they say the same thing. So um, there you go. It's unofficially endorsed by Joe Rogan. Sorry, Joe, I did that to you. Um, next thing is, uh, and actually, I think Joe had several different pairs of, he brought a few different pa- Listen, Joe, uh, when Joe comes out to hunt every morning, it's literally like you have a video game called Joe Rogan Hunt. And when the video game is built you can build all these characters and you can give them different the only thing you can't give them different is tattoos and hairstyles when it comes to freaking shoes boots pants camo patterns binoculars bino holders bows releases underwear uh i think that i think i covered it like all that stuff you can literally change every single day that's joe uh yeah he'll come out one day and i'll be like dude where the heck did you get that stuff he's like oh so-and-so sent it to me it's like okay (laughs) he's like no if if i had to find him in a crowd of hunting people i'd never know where to look because he'd be different every single day so uh i know he liked his so i can't say that he's officially claiming them but he does use them and i've seen him use them multiple times uh so there you go maybe he'll maybe he'll use them again uh so the next question here is from james.wallace 167 saying hey jd sorry to bug you while you're looking for (laughs) yogi and bobo so you must know i'm on a bear hunt or was uh just want to let you know that your cooking inspired me so much Uh, And we bought our first Traeger grill. I'm looking forward to cooking some tasty meals and provide more healthy choices for my family. Thanks for everything you do. Okay, the reason I screenshotted this is for a couple different reasons. One of the reasons is I um, I really wanted to make a statement because in the past I had always been skeptical about bear meat and specifically cooking it. Um, and eating it, I'd always done it more into sausages um, or beef jerky. You know, it's a lot like, honestly, when I first started shooting ducks and geese, you know, I tried cooking duck and goose breasts myself when I was a teenager, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and quite frankly, it tasted like like really strong rubber. Uh, so I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and honestly, when I probably first cooked beer for the first time i did a roast freaking roast can be like rubber too um and that's the reason why i'm geeked out about traegers because honestly it makes my food better um and i know it will for all of you out there i'm i 100 percent. i don't care what happens um i know that i enjoy hunting more now because i continually get impressed with my food that comes off there from my hunts 
bear is the same. Um, I went to this last bear hunt with several friends, one of which uh, was on the podcast not too long ago. His name's Preston Holdren. And Preston is really passionate about cooking, just like I am. So he was like adamant about, I said, let's cook, let's cook one of the bears. Like I want to eat my first bear while we're in camp. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So we kind of decided on a few things that we were going to do. One of which was a bear stir fry, which I have to credit Preston for, for bringing all the supplies. He's the one that brought the spices and the noodles and all that stuff for the, not the noodles, but the jasmine rice uh, for the bear stir fry and also did a lot of the prep. Um, I, de- you know, I pretty much sliced and diced and broke it apart, brought it back to camp. And then Preston was there really to, to hang out, run cameras and put some awesome food out in front of us. And one thing I want to say is for Traeger day, I actually made a post of a huge freaking rear quarter that was being smoked on the Traeger and people were freaking out saying, Oh my God, I just want to bite the screen. I just, you know, it looks so freaking good. Well, guess what? That was a whole bear leg. And yeah, it was awesome. And yeah, the stir fry was awesome. And yeah, the shaved barbecue pork, um, shaved uh, bear shank barbecue sandwiches that I had were freaking awesome. It was great. Um, I feel bad about the fact that I had this stigmatism on the types of ways that I could actually eat that. And again, I was the same way with ducks and geese. You know, until I had someone make a duck breast the right way and serve it to me, and I'm like, holy cow, is that good? I couldn't even believe it. Um, That's where I'm at. So I just want to say, you know, you're going to love that thing. The most important thing, this goes for all Traeger users out there. I've had, I've probably had a dozen friends in the last month have bought these grills. I guess it's because we're coming into summer. And what I tell everybody is the most important thing that you can do is always make sure that when you shut down your Traeger, you just turn the dial to cool down. And the reason I say that is because what that does is for 20 minutes, the auger stops turning and the fan keeps blowing. And all that does is fully extinguishes the remnant pellets that are still in there burning to whatever temperature you had it set at last. If you don't do that and you just flip the switch and flip it off, then if you don't have that fan blowing onto your pellets, then you don't have the oxygen source blowing on there. So eventually what happens is the pellets in that little metal pot just snuff themselves out. And when they snuff themselves out, they're not fully burnt. So those half burnt pellets and ash and soot is sitting in that pot waiting until the next time you use the grill. So then when you go to fire it up, You literally have old pellets, old remains, stuff that could draw moisture, um, you know, and you end up not getting to temperature because it's literally like taking your firewood from your last campfire and trying to light it again. That's what it's like. 
And what you want is you want your old campfire to fully burn out all the way so that you can go there the next time, you know, start with your kindling at a process. And then as it fires and ramps up, um, it's you're able to go and have um, a totally full and uh, hot fire. That's what you want. So. Always, when you're done with your grill, turn it to the cool, turn the knob to cool down, and let that fan run for 20 minutes, and it'll turn off on its own, and then you flip the switch off. The next thing is making sure that that metal pot is cleaned out is important. And you don't have to do it all the time. I say that you need to um, you need to vacuum that thing out um, every time you've used a full bag of pellets. Um, so every time you've gone through a full bag, take a vacuum, a shop vac, make sure that the pellets aren't still on fire, obviously, and suck those, suck all that soot out of there and just clean out your grill. And normally when I do that, I'll also put fresh tin foil down on, uh, the metal drip pan that's underneath your grates. So I'll put on some fresh aluminum foil, suck out that pot. That's all the maintenance you got and you'll be able to get your temperatures better and i'm going to answer this right now just because this guy's calling me and i just told him podcast in 30 minutes this is one of my debt my guess folks for next podcast hey how do, how do you want to do it i'm on a podcast right now so just so you know podcast 171 you're going to be interrupting so in 30 minutes you just be by a phone and that's how we're going to do it gotta go people are waiting (laughs) bye all right so that's my next guest i'll save it as a surprise as a surprise he's a cool dude uh so that's all you gotta do and your traeger is gonna be the best thing ever promise you you're gonna love it all right next question here is from josh joshua p72 my wife is getting into archery and shoots forty-five pound shoots a forty-five pound bow until she gets stronger. She drew her first deer tag, and we hunt in Utah. What type of arrow weight or broadhead would be best for light poundage people? Also, uh, with that light draw, what's your thoughts on a good ethical shot distance for an animal? So this is a really good question. I've talked about this several times because. Sharon and Harry are actually both in this category. Um, Harry shoots 50 pounds. Sharon shoots just over 40. Um, And, you know, depending, Harry now shoots um, an Easton Axis 500. Sharon still shoots a 600, um, and that's the spine. Um, But what I found is you really want to focus on a good fixed blade head for sure for, for that person. Um, I settled on that axis arrow just because the weight is still decent and it's a pretty small diameter um, at those sizes. To be honest with you, it's probably like a four and a half millimeter. Uh, It's pretty dang small. Um, So you want to still have a little bit of weight and that smaller diameter and you're going to get a little bit better penetration. Um, They've shot several broadheads over the years. and really, I like a head that is able to cut the hide really fast. Um, so um, 
G5 Montech has been used, um, but they didn't fly as good um, as the Muzzy Trocars. Um, so right now they use Trocars. Um, I've also used um, Shuttle T-Locks, or it, I forgot the brand. It, w- it was a shuttle, but it wasn't the Shuttle T-Lock. It was the other one that had a straight cut. Um, this was years ago. And then I've also used, um, I've used, I think, like a, a Magnus-style head in the past as well. And all work great. It really boils down to what flies good. Um, but having that broadhead that's immediately cutting is going to be really, really beneficial for lower-pounded shooters. I would just stress to make sure that you don't rush her into the higher poundage. Um, because that lower poundage is going to help her maintain form and then also maintain the ability to practice more. Uh, The one thing that kind of stinks was Sharon and Harry were practicing a lot and often um, up until a certain point where we just started to get busy and then Harry started college, blah, blah, blah. So now if they grab their bow on an occasional weekend, their bows are still set to those poundages where they were shooting a lot. And what it means is they just can't shoot as long and maintain form. And they know that. So they end up saying, well, I'm already tired. I kind of got to, I got to be done. Um, so you want to, uh, you really want to make sure they're shooting a weight or she's shooting a weight that she can maintain and maintain posture and shoot and be able to practice with you more than a few arrows. Um, so don't rush the weight, you know, if anything, just try to encourage more practice and make that your mission is to say, you know, should we shoot a little bit today? Should we shoot a little bit today? And then honestly, after a few weeks, you can probably turn each of her limbs a quarter turn more shoot a couple weeks, shoot a couple weeks, turn her both limbs a quarter turn more and slowly build her up, you know, a half pound or a quarter pound at a time. Um, when it comes to ethical shots, I can tell you that for the longest time, um, and really, mm, I guess they have made further shots than that, but for the longest time, I was adamant about not taking any shot over 25 yards. Um, And I think that's super important because animals have time to react to to sound. And the problem with these bows at these poundages is just that the arrow is moving um, slower. So, you know, they just have time to move. If you were in... Hawaii and shooting a slower bow like that and tried to shoot an axis at 30 yards it would not be there when the arrow got there that's all there is to it now when it comes to whitetails elk turkeys bears um you know Sharon and Harry have shot all those animals hogs and we just we've always tried to you know I've just really tried to put them in situations where for the longest time they're in tree stands or blinds Um, or we were like, you know, kind of sitting or stalking into water holes. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, um, that's kind of the, the plan, uh, is to just get them where they can have 
a very fixed position shot um, because I want one, if they're new to archery, I really want to be able to talk with them about shot placement. And one of the things that I did with Harry when he was learning was um, we actually went and I brought a little laser with me, a laser pointer. So when we would sit in the tree stand, um, I would actually turn the laser pointer on to like deer that were coming by or whatever. And I'd say, okay, you would, you would need to hold your pin. And I'd be like, Bing, I'd light it up and I'd be like right there. And he'd say, oh, okay. And then, uh, so then I would end up giving it to him and then, you know, I'd say, okay, where would, where would you shoot that one? And he, you know, I'll shoot it there. I would shoot it about right here and they start to learn shot angles and that's important but if you can keep it under 25 yards i think you're gonna you're gonna keep your ethics uh a lot higher i think you'll be happy with that um let's see here next question is from dia gz 88 or diags i don't know that's you uh saying hey Looking at getting the Elevate rest, I was just wondering which one would be best suited for the Power Max, either the standard or the Freak Mount. So anytime you're using a hunting bow, for sure you're going to want the standard mount. The Freak Bar is only, well, it's not only, but I'm going to say it's only, um, designed for target archery. It's really meant for... Um, the target archers that are doing a lot of torque tuning and want to have their arrow rest behind the tech riser on a Hoyt or all the way back on their other brands. Um, and that's something that you're not going to want with a hunting bow because one, I don't want you to have your broadhead. Uh, I don't want your arrow cut short enough to where your broadhead is behind your wrist. Um, if God forbid, if a knock ever broke or, uh, if you shot an arrow that was cracked or something and, or if a string broke or if a loop broke or whatever, the last thing you want to do is have a freaking broadhead behind your wrist. Cause things are going to get crazy fast. Take it from me. I have a hole through my freaking hand between my thumb knuckle and my index finger knuckle where I pinned my hand to the back of a Matthews bow. And that was thanks to a arrow that I had canoed while shooting all my arrows in the same spot and didn't take the time to check it. So when I shot that arrow next, the force of the, the string broke the arrow in half and the back half of the arrow drove it ended up falling low and literally shot through my hand and pinned my hand to my wood grip. It's not fun. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. So if you're not a target archer, go with the standard mount. And you're going to enjoy your hand a lot better. Okay, next question here is actually from, from SureShot underscore ZW. And... Uh, he's pretty awesome. He is, uh, he's from Johannesburg and I'm luckily sure shot ZW. Um, you actually posted some pictures 
on your Instagram board of you shooting. So I stalked you. And here's what I'm going to tell you. And you guys could all go to, if you want to, SureShot underscore ZW to look at these photos. So there's a photo of him shooting. He's in a navy blue shirt shooting a hinge release. Um, And the post was made on April 29th. And he said, learning to shoot back tension. Um, On that is actually two videos of him shooting. And what I want you, well, I got to answer the question. Or let me let me ask the question he's asking. So, whatever. Read the question he's asking. So he's saying, "Hey John, I'm struggling with holding steady on the target. My pin bobs up and down in my sight picture. Do you have any tips on that?" So first thing I do, I want to see you shooting and be able to see if I can identify an issue. One of the biggest issues when it comes to up and down pin movement is going to be very relatable to draw length. Your draw length and your posture position immediately affects how your bow holds up and down. There's other things that factor into your pulling position on the string Uh, definitely can, but I'm not going to work on that right now because um, so much of your position at full draw looks good, but what I think could be the problem is when you watch that video on April 29th, you'll notice that you pull back, the bow stops, and then you actually use your neck to bring your head forward into your anchor position. You don't tip your head down. You actually bring your whole neck forward and over that front shoulder to come forward to that string that, to me, I would say is a little bit too short. Now, what's super good about what you're doing is your actual anchor position, the arrow position on your face, the string position on the corner of your mouth, tip of your nose, your head position is actually all good. Your head is vertical. The fit is all great. The problem is, and actually your front shoulder looks great too, but what you did was you just brought your whole head forward so that you were able to anchor properly. So that's an indicator that, that you have a slightly shorter draw length. It may feel weird, but I think once you learn a little bit longer draw length, you're going to uh, to be able to slow down some of that pin bob. Now, what I want you to do, sure shot underscore ZW, is I want you to go back on your story to a picture that you posted of your buddy Dean Green 20. Um, you have a post and it was on January 20th. He's actually in a blue hat and a light blue, uh, shirt with a white undershirt. Um, he's shooting a yellow bow and has a spotting scope. And you said, uh, Dean green 20 shooting away and breaking knocks. I want you to look at how he draws back and brings his release hand over to his face while his head is still vertical compared to the post that I just told you about yourself where you draw back and then you take your head forward to your anchor position. 
those two variations between those two posts are the key to having and knowing your proper draw length and also once you're comfortable with it you're going to be able to dramatically steady your shot because you're actually fit properly into your bow hope that helps dude uh, next question here is from Paul underscore Latif. Um, he's saying, do you make arrows for people? Uh, if I wanted some, is that possible? Not sure how the knock-on business works. So I think I answered that question. Uh, I'll let you know that if I decide to fletch arrows, if I feel like there's a demand for it to have knock-on custom builds uh, for arrows, then they'll be available through the store. Um, okay, next question here is from... Ob, well, OBXers one maybe something like that. Uh, saying, have you ever heard of a thermocell being picked up by turkeys? I have not. I have not heard that. I don't know if turkeys ever smelling anything that's alarmed them. Um, what I will say is, I am I am a believer. I had a couple things. I'm a hex believer. People, I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I love my hex suits. If you don't have one, you don't you can't appreciate it. But I literally, I remember, um, well, put it this way. In Lanai, I shot more deer than what I told everybody um, because I just didn't want to boast about it. So I shot a lot, and someone made the comment to me. It might have been Rogan. I'm not sure. Someone said, well, what do you think was different? It said something like, you know, how come you shot so many? And I said, well, maybe it was the hex and, um, or something like that. Like, you know, why do you think you're, you know, getting, getting in on a lot of these deer? Um, and I just said, I'm the only one here wearing hex. Well, I think Dorian wears it too, but, and he kills a lot of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm a big believer. And then when I went on the bear hunt, same thing, all of us had hex suits and, we all had opportunities today on the Insta story. I'm actually going to be uh, I'm going to be sharing uh, my buddy Trevor's hunt. So I think you're going to be pretty geeked out about that. Um, he literally learned to shoot a bow 20 days ago and freaking smoked. <laughs> two spot stock bears him and andy both double bear slayers off their first well he had a shorter learning period than andy but either way that's what it is and also he had hex um yeah so i'm a big believer in it man i think it's uh i think it's important um let's see next question here was from trevor andrew 22s asking if he had price point on the new arrows i talked about that as well and then he said are you selling a combo pack with the wraps and the max stealth veins there isn't a combo pack the reason why there's not is because um we just don't have a system that allows you to select the different sizes different color options uh for not only the veins but also the wraps into one cart uh, and honestly, if even if we did have the option, a lot of people just like click add to cart and they don't actually select things. It happens a lot with t-shirts. People just literally see the t-shirt and they click add to cart and then they buy it. And then next thing you know, they're like, hey, you sent us a large and we wanted a 
double XL. And it's like, well, yeah, the large is the default. If you just click large, then that's what you get. So uh, that's why we don't. But you can select anyone you want and put them in. Now, we don't have discounts if we're a combination. Honestly, the margin on that stuff is very small. Um, and we've really tried to keep our shipping rates as low as we possibly can so that we're breaking even um, on our shipping and packaging costs. So uh, that's why. Uh, next question here is from Bearded Beast Barbecue. He's saying, any major difference in these two silverbacks? So he has the very first generation with the very first um, hook versus the second hook. Um, so yeah, there is a difference. Um, there was a change made in the silverback from the original Evolution jaws, um, mainly because how the first, the very first jaw opened up, um, it actually opened slightly different, and the newer jaw lets the lets your release sit in your D loop a little bit better without. It falling off it still can fall off you can't like it's not like you can fully close it around the D loop and just hang it there in your tree stand but you know you can actually hang it there a little bit um, but be careful it doesn't fall off because you don't want you don't want that thing hitting the hard concrete with the with the trigger um, and then uh, the other thing too is you'll notice that the actual the actual container of the jaw is just a little bit shallower. Um, so that helps just with consistency of loop placement. But with, you know, I call it like the rhino back. It's a, it's a silver back, but it, well, I guess it could just be the silver back. It has a hump on the newer style hook. You'll see it's got like a hump. Kind of looks like a silver back's back or a rhino horn, whatever you call it. Um, and it just, when it opens up, it actually stops at the exact position of when the loop is clearing that hook. And then it's closer for you to close it with your finger. So that's the difference. Uh, the other one still works, uh, but I felt like the newer one's better. And I continually make changes and improvements with anything. I mean, there's a good chance these strings will come out, and then in a year's time, I'll see a new material or a new something that I like, and I'm going to make changes, just like I have on the AeroRest. I love the AeroRest when they started, but I've probably made three different changes as we've gone along now, uh, and I do that with everything. I'm picky. Uh, let's see. Okay, this next question here um, is from Thorpe Bowhunting. And I actually answered his question to him uh, pretty briefly, but I wanted to say it again. So his question was, how is accuracy affected by how close the sight is to your riser? So the distance from your for your arrow sight or your pins, the distance of them from the pivot point of the bow or essentially where your grip, it, your hand is placed in your bow grip, the distance away from that hand grip does a couple things. Obviously, um, just like with the magnifying glass, the further you take it away from you, especially if you have a lens in, the more you're gonna magnify um, that object if you have a lens in. If you don't, like in a hunting situation, by extending it out, what you benefit from is your pin starts to look smaller so you're actually 
maybe some people like a very small pin to aim with. I personally liked a, a little bit bigger pin. I still shoot 29,000s pins. I don't like a lot of these sites that have 19s and 10,000s pins. Um, I like to cover a little bit more of my object when hunting, especially. Um, I don't like a super fine pin that ends up blurring out when I'm in dark situations. Um, and also, the further out you have your sight away from you, and this is an advantage in target archery, is the further away from you the sight is, the more finite your scale becomes. In other words, like with a recurve archer, with a recurve archer that's shooting slower speeds, um, and it really has a big difference whether they're shooting a target for 70 and a half yards or 70 yards. So if they're out there and they're shooting, you know, if you're out shooting um, a target that's 80 and a half yards, you want to be able to dial it to 80 and a half. The further the site is away from you, you can actually adjust it to those in-between marks simply because your scale is bigger. So the further away from your from you your sight gets, the larger your scale will get, even though your speed is the same. So here's the downside to that. In hunting situations, I personally don't like to have big pin gaps. Big pin gaps allow you to micro-adjust your finite yardages. However, big pin gaps also mean that you have to know your yardage more precisely okay so by me bringing my hunting sights closer to my bow my pins are tighter together so what that allows me to do and i did it on um, the second bear that i shot in bc i i literally was stalking this bear for almost two miles and finally had one shot and he was moving so fast and feeding and he really didn't he was just on one of these bear walks he didn't really have a purpose on where he is going um i was just trying to keep up with him and stay quiet and have my shot and when i finally had it and he stepped into this little opening i drew back and literally, I had to judge the distance to that bear while at full draw. I just looked at the bear and I thought, he could be 30, he could be 40. And I kind of looked at him a little bit longer. I'm like, yeah, he's 35. And because my pins were nice and tight, my 30 fit above the kill zone and my 40 fit right below the kill zone. And I'm just like, okay, I'm top of the kill zone with my 30 and bottom the kill zone with my 40 and I made my shot and I was able to to put it right in there so uh, I like having my pin gaps close for hunting situations because that way I can fit more pins into the kill zone and also I don't have to be as precise of knowing whether it's you know 23 or 27 I can just say you know He's 20 or 25. He's 25 or he's 30. He's 30. I mean, because when your pin gaps are closer, you've literally got two pins fitting on the top and the bottom of the kill zones, and I really like that. So that's why I do mine that way. Um, when I shot target archery, I did have my sight a little bit further away. 
but not too not as far out as you can go. Keep in mind, the longer your draw length, the longer your sight is away from your face anyway. The shorter your draw length, the closer it is to you. So people that have a really short draw length, they can have their sights out further, and that distance is still shorter than me with my sight all the way in. Um, so you know that's why having an extendable bar is nice. Uh, also, it's really nice for torque tuning, uh, which I can't really get into that right now because I'm going to be late here calling Barklow in a minute. Uh, next question here is from Quasi Juice. Quasi Juice is um, saying, Hey, John, uh, I have a tuning question for you. I have a Hyperforce with number three cams, 29 and a half inch draw, 70 pounds. It's shooting um, center shots, paper tuned, slinging arrows at 290 feet per second with a 440 grain arrow. So that's 92 grains over IBO. I thought I'd have more speed than 290. Um, shot a 404 grain arrow, and it's shooting 309 feet per second. Um, and then the 350 grain arrow is shooting 322 feet per second. Do you have any tips on tweaking my setup? Okay, so a couple things here. Uh, one, when it comes to speed with your bow, Keep in mind, speed tests are literally every single thing on the bows are exact. Like when we go to submit a bow for speed ratings, for IBO speeds or whatever, and I say we, this is something that I used to do when I was um, at Matthews, is you literally take a bow, you get axles that are freaking polished, perfectly fit the cams, literally can roll within the cams perfectly you find bushings that have no friction on the side of the limbs between the cams and the limbs you literally put one tied knock on the string and you know and you're shooting it and you're getting your speed rating so there's no standard saying that you have to be able to pull the bow out of the box. There's no saying that you that you have that in order to advertise your speed that you need to go to an archery shop and four out of five bows average is what the speed truly is. That doesn't happen. So literally the speeds that companies get when they advertise are literally pushing the envelope as far as you can. So you have to keep a couple things in mind. One, you said you have a 29 and a half inch draw. So, bam, right there is probably four feet per second less than advertised. You're maybe even more, could be five feet per second. So, for every inch of draw length is normally eight to 10 feet per second. So, every inch, inch longer than 30 inches at 70 pounds, you'll get more speed than rating. Anything less, you're going to get less. Um, and like I said, it's normally 8 to 10 feet per second per inch. And when you start to get really short, it compounds on top of that. Um, the other thing is, remember, they have normally one tied knock. So if you've got two knocks and a D loop and then a peep and then tied in peep, you're already probably losing another five to ten feet per second easy just from adding weight to the center of the string um, and that's kind of a big reason why some of these gigantic peep sites that i'm seeing i'm not a real big fan of because if you're a speed nut 
um, and you're trying to maximize as much as you can, these are all things that you have to consider. So if you are a speed geek, then what you can do is you can remove your center serving. You can put a shorter one on there. Uh, the less center serving you have, the more the less weight you're going to have in the string. Um, you can go to like a D braid type loop material and not use tied loop knock sets, which I'm not a big fan of, but you can do it. And the the D braid loop material um, actually you know, lets you have very, very small uh, knots with the loop material, but it will wear faster. Um, but you could, you know, tie a small little loop like that without knock sets. And then obviously, if you didn't tie knock sets above and below your peep sight, but just used a small lightweight magnesium peep and then tied properly tied in the peep with string around the peep itself so that it can't eject and put your eyeball out, um, then that can all maximize speed. So with that said, Quazy Juice, Podcast 171 is a freaking rizap. All right, I got to go. I got a next guest lined up, and we're late. So you guys are all freaking awesome. Love you. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com